our sleeves and on our faces. Used to tell people, smile, it increases your face value. Not sure what he's ready for, but he's ready for something. I know there's a there's a couple of you that are perpetual smilers and you know who you are, so thank you for that. Sometimes it's hard to smile when you're singing and trying to form words, I get that. Uh-huh. So you should have just stood there and looked pretty, right? <laughs> How's Tony doing? I mean, he's getting better every day. I left him both to sleep. Nicholas had summer school, so I had to let him sleep. Dude. Yeah, Tony's getting better. Swelling's going down. Two, two weeks ago today, Tony was being a great, not a great grandfather. A good, a good grandfather. There we go. He was being a great, good grandfather. And I uh, was taking his grandson fishing, fell on a log, and busted seven ribs. So, he's, that was two weeks ago today, right? Yeah, he just got out of the hospital last Sunday. Yeah, yeah. He spent about four days up in Marquette. And... Actually, it was almost a week. Was it almost a week? Okay. It's from Monday to Sunday. Monday to Sunday, yeah. That was a week. So, remember Tony? Remember him in your prayers. Let's go to the Lord right now. Father, it's good to be here. It's good to have the privilege and the honor of looking into your word. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to what we need to see today. It might be different for each of us in here today, Father. But we know that your will will accomplish what you set it out to do. So, Father, please open our eyes that we might see. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Open to the book of Acts chapter 8. Last week we we covered verses 9 through 13 and 17 through 24. We we skipped 14 to 17 so that we could come back and spend a little bit more time on that today. But what we looked at last week, we saw Simon. Um, The one thing I did forget to to share with you, remember Simon was the sorcerer that wanted to buy the power to lay hands on people and give them the Holy Spirit. He He was more concerned about how he could make money off that than he was about his soul. But one thing I forgot to tell you last week that was in my notes was Simon is also, shall we say, credited with with being the the author, the 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 founder, the beginning of Gnosticism. And I, I don't know how many of you remember back, but when I first got here, Stephen and um don't tell me, Wayne. 
Oh my goodness. Stephen and Wayne had been preaching through the book of Colossians and they let me finish it up the last, last two or three sermons to close out Colossians before we started into Joshua. But Colossians was all refuting the false doctrine of Gnosticism, that there was different levels in your spiritual life that you had to attain to and you had seven of them before you could, before you could reach God. Well, this jerk Simon's the one that's responsible for that. He, he began that along with a bunch of other false heresies. We remember last week that the people in Samaria, he, he, he was the best thing around at the time, but when Philip came in and taught him the truth, the truth won out. They, they realized that Philip was the real deal and that Simon was just a sham. That, that he was not real. He, he didn't preach or teach the truth and all he did was get rich off of them with his sorcery and the things that he could do with that and the power of Satan. Excuse me, I did that last week too. Philip comes along in the power of the Holy Spirit and teaches them the truth. And they see through the falsehood of Simon and they see the truth of Jesus Christ. Simon Simon thought that he had checked all the boxes. He heard the word. He saw the miracles. He believed something. Obviously not the whole truth. He professed to be believer, was baptized, and he hung around the apostles. He was hoping that, that they would rub off on him. And he believed, but the only thing he believed was the fact that what they had could make him money. That's the only thing he believed. Because Peter called him out pretty harshly. Says, your, your heart is not right before God. You, you are, you are not believing in, in Acts chapter two, uh, no, I'm sorry, Acts eight, thirty-eight. Uh, as we look over, uh, Philip, when he's, he's talking to the Ethiopian eunuch, says, you have to believe with your whole heart. With your whole heart. You can't just believe a little bit. You can't just believe what you want to believe. You gotta believe the entire word of God. And you have to believe with your whole heart. If you expect to receive salvation. So Peter was pretty harsh with Simon there and, and called him out for not believing and, and not having his heart right before God. Verse 24 from last week, Simon asked Peter to pray for him. He said, pray, pray to God that those judgments would not come on me. So again, just another evidence that that Simon didn't want to do business with God himself. He didn't want to develop and grow a, a relationship himself with God. He wanted somebody else to take care of the problem so, so he, those judgments wouldn't all befall him. Peter says, you got to get it right with the Lord. you got to get your heart right. you got to get it straight. We looked last week briefly at Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There's a little booklet out. It's been out for, oh, I know it was out when I was in high school, so it was before the printing press. But it's a little booklet called My Heart, Christ's Home. I know they've made a book out of it now because they figured out they could make more money, and that's too bad. But um, I think it's a hardcover book, isn't it? You can get it in. But it talks about how I'll give God all of my heart, but this one little closet over here. I, I want to keep this sin to myself. I want to be able to go and, and dabble in it when I want to and have fun with it. And, but God, the whole rest of my house is yours. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. If I regard iniquity in my heart, it will not hear me. 
Even if your neighbor, even if your spouse, even if he doesn't know about your secret sin, God does. Be sure if he knows how many hairs are on your head, he knows what you're doing, he knows what you're thinking. You, you cannot live in sin and expect God to hear you. You, you cannot keep, keep that little room for yourself that you want to, you know, it, it, it doesn't line up with God's word, but it's just my little thing here. Nobody sees it, nobody knows it, so it's mine. I'll, I'm just going to keep it. No, that doesn't work. That has to be cleaned out. Today, we're going to get to verses 14 through 17 of Acts chapter 8. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Some someone talks about... some. When, when we receive the Holy Spirit, some call it the, the Pentecostal blessing. Some call it the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we tend to call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and that's what we get when we rose against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Everybody else scattered. It was part of the God's plan. It was for in, intention and purposeful uh, persecution that God allowed to take place. Turn with me, if you would. Keep your finger in X, because we're going to be 51 through 56. It came about when the days were approaching for his ascension that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. Uh, this is not one of the verses or scriptures that I brought up last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago now. We were talking about why why could Philip go into Samaria? I mean, we talked about Jesus had, had planted the seed, basically. Talked to the Samaritan woman, the ten lepers that were healed were to dilute the bloodline, to, to weaken the, the history and, and what was there. To, to help them forget what, what their heritage was. So this is another instance where Jesus ministered, attempted to minister in Samaria, and we'll see what happens here. He sent the guys ahead to, to make arrangements for them. Now it doesn't say that if he was to make arrangements for a meal or if they were to make arrangements to crazy. James and John were, were brothers. They were the sons of Zebedee. Does anybody know what Zebedee means? Yeah, heard somebody. Else. Yeah, Zebedee means thunder. So these guys were the sons of thunder. So I, I guess I follow my namesake, being the meek, quiet, you know, reserved, held back kind of guy that I am. I, I take after this guy here. When when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, "Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them?" Jesus, a meal or a place to stay. Anyhow. Hopefully you'll see you'll see the irony there. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Okay? This is this is 
that Luke, as he's writing the book, uses the word for received. Uh, the, the most direct translation uh, from the Greek to English is accepted, that the Samaritans had accepted or received the word of God. It's the same verse that he uses in Acts 2.38 to refer to the Jews in Jerusalem receiving the word of God. Now we have the Samaritans in Samaria receiving, accepting the word of God. And when we get to chapters 10 and 11, when, when Philip teaches and preaches, no, I'm going to get that wrong. When, when Peter preaches, when Peter preaches to Cornelius and his, his household, the scripture says that they accepted, that they received the word of God. And, and it's interesting in, in Acts 1.8, turn there real quick. But you ten tribes that were diluted after the Assyrians took them over, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And that is when it moves outside of, outside of the local area to the rest of the world. And that was Cornelius when it goes to the Gentiles. So we see it happening exactly as God planned and as he instructed them to do. Start here in Jerusalem and Judea, then you go to Samaria, and then you go beyond the borders of Israel. You go to the, all the regions of the world, not just don't keep it local. So when they'd received the word of God, they, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. The question of my message today is, why did they not receive the Holy Spirit when they believed and were baptized. Because we know that our salvation today, the moment we believe, and Acts 2.38 will tell you that, the moment we believe, we have the Holy Spirit, we have all the Holy Spirit, He indwells us, He, he resides in us. So why, what, what happened here? Why did they not receive the Holy Spirit when they believed? And they even, they, to, to show their belief, they, they took the step of obedience to be baptized. Why not? Look with me at Matthew 10. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. We, we, need, to, we need to remember in our, our study of the book of Acts, Acts chapters 1 through 10 are, are a hugely transitional time. Um. Things change from, and I'll go over a list in a few minutes, but things change from this to this, from this to this. And see, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the others, they wanted to hang with the old. They didn't like change. They didn't want to change. They weren't going to change. But guess what? This is a a season of serious changes. In the, in, the, in the nation, in the way they worship God. So, again, the Sanhedrin and those guys were stuck. Well, we've always done it this way. Why do we have to change? It was good enough for us back then. Why do we change? Travel with me. 10.5. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Okay, this is why Jesus is still on earth. This is before he's gone to the cross. He's still teaching the disciples in their earthly ministry. And he's saying, right now, don't go to the Samaritans. Go just to the Jews. And so that was part of their marching orders. They were not to go to the Samaritans. Per Jesus' instructions, directly from his mouth. Do not go to the Samaritans. Over a couple of pages to to, uh, Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And again, the shy, quiet, reserved guy, Simon Peter, answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. A plus, Peter. You, you got bonus points. Use the sports vernacular. You hit that one out of the park, Peter. You got a grand slam. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Even though we are mankind, we are made in God's image, don't underestimate the value of your praise to our Heavenly Father. He likes to hear our praise. That's why he created us. Would be that we would praise his name. That we would exalt him. And right here, again, Peter knocks it out of the park. You are Christ, the son of the living God. There's no doubt. And and, and it's interesting, the word, the living God. Because all all the other gods that all the other nations worshipped were dead. They were stone and wood or or gold or silver, whatever they made them out of. They were not living gods. There is only one living God, one true God. And with that one, one way of salvation. So you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse 17, And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Become flesh, excuse me, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Again, if we remember back, Peter and John, James and Andrew, these guys were fishermen. None of them went to cemetery or seminary. Okay? None of them went to seminary. None of them had their PhDs, master, they didn't even have associate's degrees. Okay? Maybe, maybe they had their associates and even, you know, maybe something in fisher, fisherman school. But they didn't have anything in the rules of the day. They didn't study under Gamaliel. Okay? They, they, they weren't the learned ones. In fact, the Sanhedrin called them ignorant and unlearned men. But the one thing they had that none of the Sanhedrin had was they had three years with Jesus to learn from him. They were in the presence of God. In the form of man. They were receiving the instruction directly from the master. And I would rather take any day. Any day. You know, when I, when I was in 
school after I retired from the Air Force. And, and it wasn't a joke. It was true. 95% education you will never use in your real job in the real world. You just don't. You won't. And we had many, many, uh, two, I remember two and three, two guys who'd started a bicycle shop in Houghton and then one guy who had his own manufacturing plant in, in that other state down that direction, um, that when they came back and spoke to us at school, they, 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 re, they reaffirmed it, reiterated, guys, 95% of what you learn in college, you'll never use on the job, you'll never use in the real world. So you wonder who's making all the money and why if they're not teaching us anything we're going to use. But anyhow, that's another soapbox for another day. Um, but these guys, these guys had time with the master. They had the instructions straight from his hand, and, and, and they saw how he lived. They, they saw his dedication to, to praying to his heavenly Father. They, they saw firsthand the love that he had for sinners. And even those that rejected it, as we saw in Luke, with John wanted to call down brimstone and destroy him, Jesus said, that's not why I'm here. That's not why I'm here. I didn't come to destroy lives. He came to love us and to forgive us, to have a way of salvation. Doesn't mean he's not a God of justice, so don't, don't get too mushy-feely on, on that love part, because he is a God of justice. And, and he demands a price for our sin. Back to Matthew 16. Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My was in heaven. I did not, not again. It was no no scholars. Nobody in the cemetery. In seminary, man. I, I see. I've gotten so used to saying that it just comes out. Sorry. Um, but my father, who is in heaven, it it, it, it didn't come from mankind. There's a spiritual growth, a spiritual process taking place. But I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail over it. I will give you the key of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I know it wasn't just this moment that led up to this. It was their time of the three years together and, and Jesus seeing Peter's heart. But how, 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 how important and how valuable is our worship to God? Just back to verse 16 where Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That Peter is the one that Christ decides to give the key of the kingdom to. Well, what does that mean? Is it is it physical? You know, is it a key that's going to go into the pearly gate and open the gate of who goes into heaven? No. Let's go back to Acts. Hopefully, we'll be, begin to see and understand what Jesus meant when he said, "Peter, to you I give the keys to the kingdom of heaven." Acts chapter 8, verse 16, uh, 15. They, they came down, Peter and John came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, it's going just like God planned. 
Jerusalem first in Acts 2, Samaria next here in Acts 8, and the Gentiles in the uttermost parts of the world, all from Acts 1-8, is going to come in chapters 10 and 11. When Peter takes the word to Cornelius in his Gentile household. Has, has anybody seen a thread here or a theme? Peter is the, the key character in each one of these scenarios. In, in chapter 2, after they received the Holy Spirit in the building, shook the men, spoke in tongues, spoke in other dialects that other people could understand, and, and the, the people around that didn't understand were accusing them of being drunks, and who's the one that steps forward and preaches the word? Peter says, they're not drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're preaching the word of God. In verse 8, or chapter 8 here, we see Peter being the one to be there when the Holy Spirit arrives for the Samaritans. And he's also the one preaching and teaching Cornelius and his household in 10 and 11. The key to the kingdom is the receiving of the Holy Spirit. So, earlier we were, we were talking about transitions. In, in earlier, the word was only to the Jews. Now it's to go to the Gentiles. We had Judea, Judaism and now we have Christianity. They, they were to go just, and, and we looked where he said, don't go to the Samaritans, only go to Judea, to Jerusalem, only here. And now it's moved to the uttermost to all the world. They were under law, now they're under grace. We were under the sacrificial, we weren't, the Jews were under the, 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 the sacrifices on the altar, of the, the killing of the, the animals for the shedding of blood. But now Christ has shed his blood for us. And they, they don't, it, it kind of lends a little bit to understanding where uh, earlier in Acts where it talks about that there's a little add-on at the end. It's talking about the people believing. And then it says, and the high priests were also, or the priests were also coming to Jesus. They were also believing. They, they were seeing the picture and understanding that they didn't have to slaughter the animals on the, on the altar anymore for the forgiveness of sin. That Jesus Christ had done it once and for all. And it would never have to be done again. It was done. It was finished. Before you had to go to the priest to confess your sins. When Christ died on the cross as he breathed his last, the, the, the veil in the temple was ripped to give access to every one of us directly into the Holy of Holies. We don't have to confess our sins to a priest anymore. We go to the high priest. We go to God himself to confess our sins. So, to, to some, to, to folks that don't like change, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you can see why they were struggling a little bit. There's a lot of change coming down the pike. They, they were stuck in their old ways. They were stuck in the rut. Because they didn't want to give up what they had because what they had brought glory to themselves. And if they were going to give themselves to Jesus, now all the glory was going to have to go to Jesus and it wasn't going to be on them. We don't want that. We want the glory for ourselves, they said. So they didn't believe. They didn't believe.
just to reiterate Acts first 10 chapters, there's so much of this transition that you, if you want to base a doctrine solely on Acts 1 through 10, you're going to get off skew. When you, when you decide what you're going to believe, consider Acts 1 through 10, but consider it in light of the whole of God's word. Last week for Father's Day, we talked about the, the broad sword or the little, the little dagger that's used in close combat. In, in the whole sword is logos, the word of God, or in, in particular verses that we memorize and hide our hearts are those weapons, that, that sword or the, the small dagger that we have to fight in the hand-to-hand close quarters combat with Satan. In particular, if there's something that you struggle with in your life, find Scripture and memorize those verses that will help you make it through that, not to yield to that temptation, but to to come out victorious. And you have that sword, that that small dagger, for that close hand-to-hand combat with Satan, so that you will be victorious in Jesus Christ, and that you can give Him the glory, because His Word will win the victory. Again, back to my question, why did they not receive the Holy Spirit when they believed? One of the very practical reasons was so that Peter and John could come and tie the ministry to the Samaritans into the ministry of the church in Jerusalem. This new church in Samaria needed to be associated with and know and learn. Peter and John would come to identify the new church in Samaria with the work in Jerusalem. The Samaritan outsiders are clearly being incorporated into the church of God as part of God's plan back to Acts 1.8. The opening of the door that Peter had the key to during this transition had to be opened by Peter and the apostles, not by Philip. Philip was not an apostle. He was one of the deacons from chapter 6 that were established to serve the the, the widows, the meals, and make sure that it was done fairly. And he did such a good job that God used him in other ministry capacities as well, but he was not one of the apostles. He was not one of those that were authorized to open the keys to the kingdom. And so, here we have the keys to the kingdom opened and shared with the Samaritan believers. He had not yet fallen upon any of them. The Holy Spirit hadn't, verse 16, Acts 8, 16. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They began laying their hands on them. They began, Peter and John, not just Peter. They began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now there's, And I'm going to have to read these two because I don't want to mess them up. But there's, there's two things. Um, well, there, there's, there's different groups that believe that, that salvation is a two-stage act. A two-act play. Some, two acts, anyhow. Two parts to it. Uh, one are the, the Roman Catholics and the other are Pentecostals. They, they believe that, it's, that, that you have to be believe and baptized. And then there's another step for you to receive the Holy Spirit. The Roman Catholic, Catholics, it's an outward and ceremonial thing. 
And in the Roman Catholic Church, you do not receive the Holy Spirit until the bishop physically lays his hands on you and prays over you. They believe that they're all descendants from the apostles and they're the only ones that have the right to bestow that. If, if they were in the sense, yes, that would be the case, but that's not the case. The Pentecostals believe that it's, it, it's not so much outward and ceremonial as much as it's inward and spiritual. But they too believe that you have to believe and be baptized and then only when hands are laid on you will you have the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Those who claim, listen carefully, those who claim we must be baptized to receive the Holy Spirit have a problem with the Samaritans. They were baptized but did not receive the Holy Spirit until the apostles came, prayed for them, and laid their hands on them. So baptism isn't going to cut it. I mean, if, if that's your thought or your premise, keep reading in Acts because it shows you where that's not the case. Number two. Those who must say that you must have the laying on of hands to receive the Holy Spirit, i.e. the Catholics and Pentecostals, struggle with Acts chapter 10, 34 to 48, because that talks about Peter preaching the word to them, and as they preached, as he preached, they believed and the Holy Spirit filled them. Nobody prayed or laid their hands on Cornelius or his household. So if, if you have people of one of those two beliefs, you can gently show them the word of God that they're wrong because baptism, physical water baptism is not required for the filling of the Holy Spirit, nor is the laying on of hands. And, and I, I don't think it's any accident that God put those examples right here all together in the first 10, 11 chapters of Acts. It was very purposefully and directly done so that we would know and understand. In closing, Acts 2.38. We've referred to it earlier, but this time I'm going to read it. Acts 2.38, Peter said to oh, Peter, there's Peter again. Boy, that guy's just all over the place, isn't he? I wonder if it has anything to do with that passage in Luke where Christ said he'd given the keys to the kingdom, to the heavenly kingdom. Peter said to them, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ on account of the forgiveness of your sins because your sins have been forgiven you. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the Holy Spirit. Doesn't say you'll receive a little bit. Doesn't say you'll get a tiny part. Doesn't say, well, you get 5% now and more later. It says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we are saved, we receive all of the Holy Spirit. I receive all of the Holy Spirit at salvation. The problem is that salvation, the Holy Spirit, doesn't receive all of me. We say less and less of me and more and more of God. And eventually, it's our prayer that there would be nothing of me and everything of the Lord. As we get out of the Holy Spirit's way, as we leave 
him and God the Father and God the Son on the throne where they belong, and we yield that closet, that dirty, filthy, sinful piece of our lives that we want to keep to ourselves, as we yield that to Christ, there's less of me and more room for the Holy Spirit to come in and work through me. And the more closets that I clean out, the more that I give over to Him, the more room there is for God's Holy Spirit to indwell me, to work in me, to work through me, to bless me. That's how I receive, and and we we can't receive more of the Holy Spirit, but the, the Holy Spirit can be more active and working more and better in our lives as we get out of His way. Let's pray. Father, it's my prayer that each one of us in this room would submit to your will. That we would give every dirty closet in our lives to you, that we'd give you the living room, the bedroom, the kitchen, all the rooms of the house, in every single closet in each one of those rooms. That we might have more of you, and that there would be less of us in your way to accomplish your work and your will in our lives. God, thank you for Peter and the apostles. We, we do not worship them, but we, we, we thank you for them. We thank you for the work, the, the ministry, uh, the example they were to us. Father, we worship you and you alone. And we thank you for what Jesus Christ did for us. And we thank you that at the moment of salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit. Father, when we return here next Sunday, I would pray and ask that you would work in our hearts and our lives so that when we are here next week, we would be less of us and more of you. That can only happen as we submit to you, Father. Thank you for your word in this day, and we just look forward to to exalting your name and thanking you for who you are. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.